brought to you by Combat Flip Flops. Bad for running and even worse for fighting. Combat Flip Flops are your ticket to the unarmed forces by providing you with the military-inspired quality footwear for men and women. Be sure to enter the code UNITY at checkout to help support the podcast. And in support of women in developing countries, head over to CombatFlipFlops.com and become part of their unarmed forces today. And by Beneath. Starting with the first thing that you put on in the morning, Beneath inspires you to be your most authentic self. Get ready to experience increased comfort that radically outperforms anything that you've tried before while leaving minimal impact on Mother Earth. Use the code UNITY to get 15% off at checkout at Beneath.com. That's B-N-3-T-H.com. Hey everyone, welcome to this week's episode. I am here with Megan Patrick. She is a dope-ass country singer who happens also to be Canadian, which I don't really know now if that's like a compliment <laughs> to say to people. <laughs> so we're starting there. <laughs> we're going there. Let's start there. Right. I, I met Megan because I, I, got, I was so lucky to meet Megan the way I did. I met Megan through Nicole Arbor and I'm really grateful because I gained a really good, not only friend out of it, but somebody I feel like I can talk to honestly with and like there's a trust there with us and I don't know, quite know what it is but over COVID I don't know about you but business and networking and how we run things has changed so drastically that I feel like and I had this conversation with Alana Stott last night I, she's like there's so many people I'm so close with I haven't even met them in person and I'm like oh my god I know <laughs> yeah <laughs> I know it's crazy <laughs> It's so ridiculous, but I met you through Nicole and you started kind of repping our stuff. And what I didn't really realize was like how cool you were until she like <laughs> switched me on to you. Cause I haven't listened to country music in a minute. And my, I, I grew up on country music and then I started listening to it again. And I was like, Oh, like she's actually good. She's not like soft. My my dog died and my my husband left and my life is over. Like, do you like how my accent just starts queening that into that? <laughs> that was a great accent. <laughs> I just I, I don't know. I think you're fantastic, and I'm I'm so grateful to have you on the show. And we could finally line this up. But I got a lot of questions, like truthfully, because I don't really know that I've even asked you how you really fully got into country music. Yeah, um, you know my. Uh, journey in music has been pretty uh diverse i guess you could say i mean i i just grew up in a very like musical home like not even so much like that i mean my dad plays a little bit of guitar but like there wasn't anybody else in my family that was like a musician by trade um but we just always have music playing in the house you know my mom was a dj in college and so she had pretty epic record collection um, and we definitely like we didn't really have we didn't watch a lot of TV. We listened to a lot of music like when we were in the house, but mostly we just played outside. Um, and I I auditioned for the school musical when I was in like sixth grade, I think. And my teacher was like, wow, like you can really sing, you know, you, is that something like do you like it? Is that something you're interested in? You should take lessons. So she um, gave my parents some info for a voice teacher. Oh, sorry. My dog knows how to open the door. So she's just let herself into my studio. Um, I love that. So yeah, so I started taking singing lessons and my teacher at the time, uh, she just kind of like decided that I should be an opera singer because I had this like big, powerful voice and a lot of range. And, 
you know, and I mean, honestly, I, I enjoyed like the studying of it, like learning, just, you know, learning the theory side of things, but also just the challenge of, of singing something of singing opera. Um, and then, you know, when I got into, I guess, like middle school, I started focusing in more on snowboarding and that became like kind of my main focus all through high school. And I was a competitive snowboarder. I was, um, I was on the Ontario team for a couple of years. Yeah. Um, and then in my senior year of high school, I had a really, really bad fall. I broke my back, um, dislocated my shoulders, snapped my collarbone, severe concussion. It was pretty scary. I was actually really lucky to walk after that. And it was a very long, frustrating recovery. Um, and I was pretty depressed for a lot of that recovery because I was basically bedridden for a while. Like I couldn't even, I couldn't like get up and take a piss by myself, which is pretty depressing oh. for someone who's used to being an athlete. And, you know, not only that, I was having one of the best seasons of my whole career. You know, I was supposed to be going to junior worlds in Switzerland and I had all these big plans and I was actually planning on deferring college and university the next year. And that was the deal with my parents was, you know, if if I was in a position where things were really moving forward with snowboarding, they were cool with me not going to um, college or university straight out of high school. So obviously that injury um, stopped those plans. So I, I decided I was gonna go to school. And I mean, I guess sort of the silver lining of that was I really turned to music a lot um, during that recovery, whether it was just listening to music, to kind of calm myself down or um, writing songs, writing lyrics. Um, so it was very therapeutic for me. And so I actually ended up going to school and studying opera because there weren't a lot of options um, in terms of performance. Like I knew that I, I loved performing and singing. So it was kind of like jazz or opera and I'd already studied opera. So I did like one year in that program and I hated it. <laughs> and mo mostly just like, I just realized that like people that are actually into opera are like really into it. And I was like, yeah, I, th no, this isn't for me. So <laughs> then I wasn't really sure what to do and I was really missing snowboarding and I was kind of frustrated with how I felt like my sort of career just came to an end. So I decided to go back for a year and competed with the Quebec team because I was going to McGill University at the time. Did another year of competing. Uh, I did have another kind of semi severe concussion, which um, my doctor was not too happy about and kind of said, you know, you're going to start really seeing some pretty lasting effects from the, from this if you keep doing this. So I retired again once and for all and uh, sorry, I guess second and for all and uh, <laughs> then switched into the jazz program, which I enjoyed more than opera, but still was just not really what I wanted to do. Um, and then I ended up dropping out of McGill and transferring to Humber College in Toronto, where they had, the, I don't know, the, pro the program was a little bit more modern, I guess, and left a little bit more room for me to do things other than like opera or jazz. Um, but during that time, you know, when I was uh, at McGill, I played in like a 10 piece funk, like tower of power kind of <laughs> band called there the dogs. That's Sorry. Okay. No, it's fine. Don't worry about Did it. Working from home. Um, First, right. So yeah, I, I played in a 
this funk band called the New Groove Orchestra, which kind of gave me my first taste of like touring and writing songs and like that kind of thing, which was cool. Um, and then when I dropped out of McGill, I went to Humber and I ended up around that time um, meeting some some guys that I grew up with. Um, and we started the Stone Sparrows, which was my bluegrass band. And that was kind of like what led me to drop out again. <laughs> Not my parents' favorite conversation I've had with them. Um, but I just kind of got to a point, you know, I was working, I was in school full time. I was also playing shows like most weekends. And I was like, I can't sustain all three of these things anymore. And not working wasn't an option. And I knew that like, you know, going to school or getting a degree didn't, was kind of irrelevant to what I really wanted to do, which was to write songs and perform. Um, and the Stone Sparrows, you know, we, we were together, we were banned for, I think almost four years. And we made a couple records independently and we, we toured pretty extensively for like an unsigned band. And um, again, really got a taste for just being on the road. And so I always say that uh, the Stone Sparrows and, and Bluegrass was kind of like my my gateway drug into country music because, um, you know, we, we got to play Boots and Hearts for the first time, which started oh, wow. in my hometown. The first, the first year that festival started, we were in the um, Emerging Artist Showcase as the Stone Sparrows. And so that was also just like my first exposure to like the country fan base. And I, I just really loved the whole atmosphere. I loved the fans. I was like, these are my people. These are the kind of people I write songs for, um, you know. And then when the band decided to go our separate ways, because, you know, other guys in the band had other things that they could fall back on or other things they wanted to pursue. And for me, it was just music. And I was kind of already naturally just writing country music without realizing it. It was just kind of what came naturally to me. So long story but that's, that's how you got into here yeah <laughs> it's crazy to me when you when you talk about that because i know you and i are from we're really close you and i are from like towns that are like what maybe half an hour 40 minutes from each other um how far is Campbellford yeah, from you oh yeah Campbellford is like I, f I think it's like an hour in a bit maybe yeah Maybe okay. Well, so that maybe yeah. Less. It, might, it might even be like forty five. It's it's definitely close. I'm I'm from Bowmanville, so yeah. You're you're got to be about forty five. But I would think yeah. about forty five with good traffic because I know. Yeah. I remember when um you told me where you were from the first time. I was like, oh my god, what? <laughs> we are from the same. It's weird when you meet somebody who's successful in something, and to this extent that you are from a small town like that, because there's this. I feel like there's no matter what, like people have this attitude, you can do anything you want to do, but there's still this perception when you come from a small town that it, it's so rare for people to get out of that town or yeah. become successful out of those towns. And it's so crazy when I hear about it, because I know Crosby was from Peterborough. Mm -hmm. So it's like we had a lot of hockey people. We had a lot more athlete type people come out of Ontario, it felt like, or especially that little bubble. But for country singers and for musicians and for actors and things like that, I, I didn't I didn't realize how rich the history was in our area, which is really fascinating now when I when I start to delve into it. But it's interesting to me because when you talk about like an Ontario team and stuff, it like is a full body like tingling, like yeah. oh I get goosebumps. Well, it's cool for me too because I can when I say that like you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> oh my god, do I ever? <laughs> like yeah. it's it's crazy. I was I was. I was born in, I think, I think my birth certificate says like Belleville, but I lived in Coburg 
for like most until we moved to Campbellford and then we were Rosene, then Campbellford. And then we were in Campbellford for the rest. And it's insane to me because those places are so small and everyone ends up knowing everybody, but yet somehow I had no fucking clue about you. And I'm so glad that I did afterwards because my God. So what was that like though, having parents, like your parents in particular, because you were so good at um, a sport and you had drive towards something that wasn't necessarily education. What was that like growing up with that? Because I'm sure the dynamic with that, if your parents weren't exactly super excited would have been difficult on you. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I was really lucky. I mean, my, my parents, I can't remember a time in my life where my parents didn't, didn't support me in, in whatever it was. And let's be honest, the two, uh, paths I chose were not the, not ideal as a parent who, who wants to see their child grow up to be successful and secure. So I'm like, no, physician or <laughs> athlete, you know, take your pick. Like, also, get your body you know, broken and hurt yeah. and possibly just make money on the street corner for the rest of your life. Yeah. So yeah. Also, you know, not to mention the, you know, the hospital bills a mile long, you know, oh. I mean, I had a lot of injuries, a lot of broken bones, you know, my, my poor mother was there when I, when I broke my back. And I mean, it, it was, I think it was probably a lot scarier for her than it was for me because to be honest, I was unconscious for, I mean, I was unconscious for a long time. It was a severe concussion. And, um, and I don't remember most of that day, to be honest. Like I remember, I remember very vividly being in the air and knowing that it was bad and I was going to land bad. Um, cause I basically landed on my head slash shoulder and like suitcase on top of myself. So I was, I I hit a jump. I was warming up for a competition. I went into this jump way faster than I should have. I hadn't hit it yet. So I hadn't gotten a feel for it. I had a lot of pipe. Was this a pipe or was this um, like like a tabletop? Yeah. It was like slope style. So, you know, it was supposed to be like a tabletop, but it just had a little like kind of more vert than it than it should have and so Mm -hmm. it shot me like more straight up than kind of up and out than i expected and i also stupidly you know went into it i mean you just don't go hit a jump for the first time full speed you know and yeah (laughs) that is is not like literally fucking me in a nutshell (laughs) just Just don't hit the jump at full speed you should have a shirt that should be a part of a song i will always hit the jump at full speed So, yeah, I mean, I just, I came in and when I, when I hit it, like it just shot me kind of straight up and it threw my whole balance off when I went to rotate. And I, I basically like almost overcorrected because I was like, it kind of like threw me back. And so I, when I went to overcorrect in my rotation, I ended up almost doing like almost a front flip, like if this is my head, it's my feet and kind of went like this and landed like that body. So that's how I had compression fractures all down my, my You're lower. So lucky back. you weren't paralyzed. Oh no, a hundred percent. I mean, the, the doctor literally told me it was a miracle that, that I could walk after that and that I didn't break my neck or, you know, my spine, anything like that. So, I mean, yes, I was lucky. I mean, it was severe and it was bad and I, I definitely still have lasting effects from it, but I also got to walk away from that accident. And so mm-hmm. I think it also, I mean, it, sh- it really shook me for sure. Um, made me rethink some things, <laughs> you well, know? 
compression <laughs> fractures is especially the, when the, because my husband's in this industry and the whole neck and spine deal is something that I've come to really understand breaks and things. And when you look at compression, that is so violent compared yeah. to just like a tweak or something, because the, what yeah. happens with the, with the small little shards and those, when they compress, they could go right into the goddamn spinal cord at any point And it's over. It's, a, it's amazing to me how fragile the human body is, but not only like the body itself when you, but you look at components in particular, like the spinal cord itself and yeah. it just being in this column of like death shards mm -hmm. that if you just land the wrong way, your life is over. I just, it, yeah. you're, you're very fortunate. I'm, Jesus, man. I, for sure. I, you know, and I think, again, like I said, I, th I think it was kind of what made me turn my focus to music, um, mm. which was a, a positive, you know, and I, I figured like, well, you know, this will be easier on my body too. Like not so much like my ego or my feelings, but, you know, definitely easier on my body. <laughs> right. So and anything hard. that doesn't hurt every second of the day is always great. <laughs> yeah. With with head injuries like that, because they are, they do have, we now know about CTE, we know about inflammation in the brain and we understand we don't know everything by any means, but we're starting to grasp a little bit about yeah. what happens to somebody when you knock your brain around that, that often. And, and for you, for you to, you know, be that young and them say like, you can't have another hit to your head like that. Have, what have you noticed? Have you had, because they said, you know, you'll probably have lasting effects. Have you noticed lasting effects now going into music? I swear I used to be smarter for sure. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, um, no, but like joking aside, I mean, I def, I, I, I suffer from migraines pretty regularly. Um, um, also, like my, my short-term memory is not great. Um, like when I was younger, I used to read a lot. Like I was, I was very like bookworm and like I would read quickly and I, I'd go through a book really quickly. And now um, sometimes I struggle with like reading for long periods of time. Like it's like, I'll, I'll read through it, but I'm not always like absorbing what mm -hmm. I read. Um, it, it's gotten better. Like when I first came, went back to school after the recovery, like I had a really hard time with studying and like with, with getting back to school and everything. Um, cause I noticed it a lot more. It's, it's better now, but I mean, for the most part, I mean, cause I do still love reading. I actually, I do a lot more audiobooks now instead of like actually That's reading. Yeah. Which is great. Cause I mean, I do it like when I work out or bike or whatever, I just listen to audiobooks or podcasts. Um, but yeah, the, the headaches, um, my back, you know, I mean, I did, I did pretty intense physio, um, and I took it really seriously, you know, because at the time when I started doing my recovery physio, I was still in my, had it in my head that I was going to go back to snowboarding. Oh, you wow. know? So, you know, I was trying to recover and be, you know, full fledged, like athlete again. And cause I mean, I, I still remember like the first time I put on like my school uniform to go back to school after like months and months of recovery of like basically being bedridden. And like, I wasn't eating a lot because I was nauseous all the time from, you know, from the migraines and I was depressed and, um, the painkillers they were giving me just like, I, I hated them, but like I needed them, <laughs> mm -hmm. you know? And, um, also, but I, I have to say, like, one of the things that helped me was like weed, honestly, because I'd been, you know, I, I never, I never smoked it, never 
did it, any of that when I was um, competing because we got drug tested and obviously it wasn't legal at the time in Canada. Um, mm-hmm. But it was one of the only things that that helped with like headaches and helped with me being able to eat. Cause like, I remember when I put on, when I like went to go back to school, I mean, my uniform was hanging off me. I think I, I think at my smallest, I think I weighed 113 pounds, oh, wow. which is, that's insanely skinny for, tall- for me. I'm five foot six. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, that's I'm a lot. That's I'm, a- I'm probably at a healthy, like, strong weight right now. I'm probably like 138 right now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So 113 pounds was like skeletal for me, and it was it was yeah. kind of scary. But anyway, I actually kind of lost track of what we were initially talking. Oh, you were asking about res- like lasting effects, but yes. Um, I think I'm dumber and I get headaches. <laughs> I'm dumber and I get headaches and I don't snowboard anymore. No, I, I get it. The 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 short-term memory, the reason I ask about that is- no, There it is. Case in yeah, point. Forgot the case in point, the reference that we were just speaking of yeah. just happened. Just go yeah. back and rewind. You can listen. Yeah. It'll be great. But that's my point It is CTE and concussive syndrome and, and hitting your head. Yeah. is so much more than we thought it was. And yes. this is the perfect case in point. I mean, you look at things like the Aaron Hernandez, you look mm-hmm. at uh, the individuals who end up just suicidal and and violent and angry and impulsive. Yeah. And now we're starting to understand why these people all act this way. And it's not to say that's all because of that, but there's a massive subset within that that is provable through science because you've yeah. literally smashed your face off things. Yep. I remember somebody saying to me recently, I, I, I don't know how we were on the, I think we were on the, no, it was yesterday. See, even I, I can't, <laughs> it was yesterday. My buddy's a paramedic and he's in here and he he volunteers and he's a great guy. And we were talking, uh, I did this run this week that was ridiculous. And he, he was in the follow car with the president of my company. And I asked him to, yesterday and I was like, you know, we we're talking about like knocks to the head. And we're just, cause he's a paramedic. So I like to pick his brain and stuff and have these conversations with them and talking about CTE and like sports and stuff like that. And we kind of got on the topic of, uh, you know, teaching, you know, what would your kid play in sports? And I was like, you know, our, my son won't do hockey. I'm not for it because there's too many getting hit from behind and those compression yeah. fractures. And he goes, you know, that happens in like anything. I'm like, fair enough. And then I really sat down and thought about it. I'm like, a lot of times kids don't even need to, to be in a sport to just get concussions mm-hmm. because the way that they just are and the clumsiness and the constant hits to the head, the resiliency is, is insane when you look at it. And he said to me, he's like, yeah, I've had like a couple major. And I said to myself, I'm like, I can't count on both hands and feet how many times I've been knocked out cold. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. insane. Yeah. It's just, yeah. It boggled well, my brain because I forgot. Like, I forgot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, and when you're younger too, like to be, you know, I didn't. To be honest, I didn't take it that seriously. I really, truly used to think I was like invincible. You know, none of us did. <laughs> Nobody took it. Like when you're in high school, like did you play? Did you? I can't remember if you said you played rugby or not. No, I never played rugby. What other sport did you do though? You snowboarded? Um, I was a gymnast. I was a pretty serious gymnast for like, kind of like all yes. the way up from like for 10 years, all the way up to when I started snowboarding. I mean, I was in the gym like six days a week. It was pretty. 
that's what we talked about. We were talking about that because I remember talking about the Taekwondo with you and it just being like an all encompassing thing. You're like, I, I couldn't remember what the sport was, but you're like all like you did it all day. And for people that don't understand gymnastics, especially for girls, when you are competitive, you start early and you start at like six hours a day. Yep. It's ruthless. What was that like for you? Um, well, you know, I think overall, I think it was extremely positive. I think I gained a lot from, from the the sport and from my coaches. I had very, very tough, very strict Russian coaches for my, my whole like training career. Um, I, I mean, I think one it's it it gave me you know it taught me just about general fitness and how to how to work hard and about determination and and facing your fears i mean when you're doing backflips on a you know an uneven beam that's this big and like you know and i had i had a couple a couple of injuries um during gymnastics which actually it's it's kind of ironic for as dangerous as as it, it was i i didn't have as many injuries as a gymnast as i did as a snowboarder but i think also i was maybe because i was so much younger like you're just you're so much more resilient mm-hmm. um but yeah i mean I, I think i think that it really uh built my character it made me very very tough because they have zero sympathy for you no they don't have about any sympathy. anything like about anything, like they, they don't care. Um, and I mean, there's a reason why, you know, when you look at the Olympics and, and you look at the the Russian gymnasts, like there's a reason why they're all so good because there's no room for you not to be, <laughs> you know? Well, the Russian, I <laughs> yeah. mean, you must do well or you die. Yeah. <laughs> like it's like China. Like, yeah, so like, it's like, can I get an extra mat? No, in Russia, we have no mats. I'm like, okay, well. <laughs> This is we use concrete. Can I have a we, land, yeah, we land on concrete. You break your ankle. This is how you get strong. And like, no. <laughs> this makes no sense. Like, like I'm like, six years old. I'm like, okay. <laughs> yeah, I don't I don't get it. It's we we look at athletes a, a different way. I mean, the case in point, the Olympics this year in Japan. I don't know if you watched it because I know your schedule is ruthless. So I mean, I'm an Olympic. I watch the Olympics. I hate that I watch it now because I know how little they get paid. And I know that was always a dream of mine. And to to know the work that goes into that and then just know how fucked they get by oh, yeah. the entire committee and they make all of the money. It, it boggles yeah. my mind. But where I was going with this is there was a, I think it was like a fifth. How could, you had to be 14, I think. Was it 14 to compete in the Olympics? 14 or 15? I yeah, I think so. Yeah. There was a girl from China who was a diver. She was 14 and she cleaned house. I have never seen a more composed, put together 14 year old in my life. This, like this time, she was smaller than me. She must have been four, six, and maybe 80 pounds. She yeah. was immaculate. I've never said there was not even a splash that came out of the water out underneath her, but it's the pressure that we put on these young girls. You see this in gymnastics and diving in what's another good one that even with track with women, you got to be on it early and it's all that you do. And I'm curious about the mindset, because like you said, you think that made you tough, that made you tough and that made you stronger. I wonder, do you think that if you didn't do gymnastics, you would have ended up going down the same path of snowboarding where that's, it's a much harder 
um, harder on the body. You need to be a little bit stronger mentally because it is such a frustrating yeah. thing to learn. Like, do you think that was, you know, that led you on to doing sports like that? Oh, I mean, I definitely think that gymnastics kind of set the stage for me, no pun intended, <laughs> you know, it was the toner. And yeah, no, I mean, it, it really did mold me in a lot of ways. And I think that they were mostly positive ways. And I think that because I got out when I did, um, that it's, it remained mostly positive things, but I mean, there's, there was some stuff there too, that was kind of damaging as well. And I mean, I, I don't know. I, I really, like I said, I really, I'd like to believe that I am as tough as I am. Um, and it kind of made me pretty fearless to be honest, because you weren't really allowed to be, to have fear. Like it right. was just not an option. And it was a very competitive setting at all times. And not just when you were competing, but when you were in the gym with your, your teammates and I, I, you have to grow up pretty fast and you learn about sacrificing things that other kids are doing. Like I didn't get to go to like birthday parties and eat birthday cake and, you know, and hang out at the mall and like do all this. Like I would go to school all day. I would do my homework in the car on my way to go train. And I would train until, you know, sometimes late at night. And then I would get up and go to school, do the same, finish my homework on the way to school, you know, and then, I would also train all the way through the weekend. So it was, it was all consuming and it was my whole life. And it was a lot of pressure, you know, looking back, it was a lot of pressure from a really young age. And I don't know. I mean, you can look at it one of two ways. I look at it like it made me very mentally tough. Mm -hmm. um, I think that for some people it broke them though you know, and, and, and that's not a judgment on, on them or versus me no. or anything like that. I just, I just know that it, it affected different, like other girls that I train with and stuff, it, it affected them differently. And I'm sure it probably affected me negatively in some ways that I'm maybe not even aware of, but mm -hmm. for the most part, I think, it, I think it was a positive thing. I mean, just taught me about hard work and determination and being dedicated to something. And, you know, it, that translated, I think, a lot into into my music career because doing this is also a relatively sort of thankless job and you sacrifice time with your friends and your family and you don't make a lot of money and you have to be very, um, you know, what's the word? I lost, I lost my train of thought and there's a concussion <laughs> kicking in. Um, no. Um, you have to be very tough. You have to be, Discipline. that's the word I was looking for. Discipline. <laughs> okay. Discipline. Yes. Yeah, you do. It takes so much more than people realize when you're, when you're doing things like that, because the thing is with sports that are all encompassing, people don't quite understand what that truly means. That means diet. That means time management. That means your parents' management of their time. That means yeah. financially the burden on that alone, but so the yeah. setting the stage literally for you to be able to handle the pressures that would come later on in life. And I'm, I'm glad to hear, I'm really glad to hear that it happened that way for you because there are so many routes that could have gone if you, okay. I don't say allowed it to break you, but you know, we're finding so much more now in science about how, how people handle stress and mm -hmm. really the markers 
that show the uh, what they can handle and what they can't handle because biologically and neurologically and just from a chemical standpoint some people are predisposed to being able to handle way more stress than another but they we don't necessarily know that until yeah. it happens and it's, it's kind of like yeah, it's kind of like this thing. There's a, I don't know who it was that came up with the theory, but I talk about it a lot because I, I think it helps people understand what I'm trying to articulate. And that is kind of like this, these like cup theories. And it's like, if you were to take a six foot five man and then like a four foot or five foot person, four foot, I, I reference small people because I am literally <laughs> barely five foot. So I feel like four isn't a big jump for me. So if you look at someone that's like literally six, five and a person that's five foot, you would think right off the bat, without even questioning it, the bigger person is going to be able to handle more trauma. They're going to be able to handle harder things, but that's not always the case. They might have a tiny little shot glass of ability to handle and fill that cup. Whereas maybe somebody who's smaller can be like, I got it. Just like move on. I can handle it. It's, it's a complete different thing. And I'm glad to hear it didn't break you in that sense. But I do wonder, do you think that was do you think maybe, and maybe I'm like going out of line here, but I'm curious what your thoughts are on this. The way that gymnastics teaches kids and especially girls young and, and it, how it molds them and it puts them in such a competitive nature from a young age. I wonder how good that is for young girls. Do, yeah. Um, you know I, mean? I think there's a positive aspect, but I really wonder the overall how yeah, I mean, I, I think I think like overall it is it is a positive, um, but it also just really comes down to um, coaching and mm -hmm. the way they they coach their athletes. I mean, I would say that I was lucky. I mean, my coaches were very very tough, but they I didn't like. They, I don't think they were abusive. You know, I don't think that they oh. were. And also my experience might've been different than the experience of some of the other girls. Cause I, I do know other girls that had abusive situations with their, their coaches. I, I didn't. And so I was lucky. Um, I also think that it just comes down to like, I, I do believe that there is a certain level of like, just what is innate in you. And mm -hmm. for me, I think that I, discovered and I'm sure my my coaches discovered from a young age that I I respond to the sort of tough love tactic you know I respond to being challenged um <clears throat> and respond to uh how do I word this not not like not like a not abuse but like yeah, tough love, I guess, is the best way you to say thrive it. under yeah, you thrive under pressure. Yeah, you I thrive under pressure. pressure. I, I like I'm pretty sure that I came out of the womb with like something to prove. <laughs> you know? You're like, like I literally have things to do. Get out of oh my, my way. Tell me, tell me I can't do it. Go ahead, see what happens. Tell me. Just tell me I can't do it. Tell me I can't do it. Tell me I stuck. This is why I wrong. This is why I love you because you have that mindset. And there I feel like there's so few and far between people nowadays that have that. So just mm -hmm. just give me it. Give me the fuel. Tell me, tell me yeah. some more that I lie. Tell me some more that I suck. Tell me some more that I'm not good at anything. Cause now watch, cause now watch. But I was just gonna aim for like a book. Now I'm fucking coming for the Emmy and the Oscar and the motherfucking like get out of my face because yep that's like you. I mean, you're, 
you're a powerful person to come from where you have, like you've done the work and you've laid the groundwork that will allow you to be as successful, not only as you are, but as you continue to be, I mean, a Grammy is in your future. All of these things are coming for you because you don't settle and you have that, like, tell me I suck. And I'm like, I'll text you every morning, Megan, Megan, you suck. Show me how much you suck today. I just watch what you do with that. (laughs) Well, and I think too, it's like that, you, it also breeds this mentality of there, there's no entitlement there. There's, there's, this is not a participation trophy, sport, <laughs> you know, and I feel like we are living in the age of <clears throat> participation trophies, um, which I think it. is so detrimental. You know, there, there's a, there's a, just, I think an extreme lack of like personal responsibility and accountability Um, and again, like entitlement, I mean, and like, if there's one thing that I learned, I mean, I could go to the gym every day and I could work my ass off. It doesn't mean I'm going to win. It doesn't mean like, nobody's going to give you a gold star because you went in and, and worked hard. That's what you're supposed (laughs) to do. Like, that's the bare minimum, you know, you, you get the gold star when you freaking win, when you kick everyone's ass, like you don't, you don't get a, you don't get a trophy or a medal for like being the hardest working person in the gym, you know, it's, it's just, and that's like, that's a tough pill to swallow sometimes. But I just think that when you have that mentality, it breeds success because as you said, like you don't, you don't settle um, and you don't believe that you are entitled to anything. And Mm -hmm. you also strive for more because you know that you have to do more to really be recognized and to, to gain that, success. And I think, you know, and, and also because things, you know, like gymnastics or snowboarding, I mean, they're, they're individual sports, they're not team sports. So it's all on you. Like you you can't, you can't rely on, on a, on a teammate or anything else. Like it is based solely on your own performance. Yeah. Like take the pressure. You have to, you have to show up and you have to take on all that pressure. Um, you know, and like, yeah, it's like you, you get the, you get the glory, but you also get the failures too. And I mean, even the glory is, is short lived. It's like, and, and that's like, you know, if there's anything that I've learned and this is more speaking to music, it's like, I've hit a lot of milestones in my career, like things that I've dreamed about, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, and yet, it, those things are almost irrelevant to me at this point. Like it was <laughs> right? cool. You know, it was cool when it happened in the moment, like it was cool, but I swear the second it happened, I had already moved on and I already needed something else bigger and better and was already thinking about the next thing, which is, I think good, you know, it keeps you motivated, but it's also, you know, you have to be cognizant of, of the fact that like, if you never stop to enjoy those moments for a second, like what, what are you really doing it for? <laughs> you know, you're, if you're always looking at to the next thing, the next thing, next thing, then you never really get to, I don't know, just enjoy what you've created or enjoy what you've accomplished. So that's true. I think that's true. And I think that's, that's true for people who are, who strive for large success, for success that is so far among the stars that people, when you talk to them about it, laugh at you because there's no way that their, their small minds can comprehend your ability to actually achieve yeah. and not only achieve, but thrive past that point. 
And I, I, I echo the sentiment of you have to pause in those moments and have gratitude for those moments. But I also very much struggle with exactly with what you're talking about. And I say struggle because I wish that I could hold those moments longer and appreciate them harder and more and more deeply because having had some of those successes very, you know, very small, they're fleeting and yeah. they're, they seem like that could, you know, the, the, the sad thing is to me is like some of the things that you and I both have achieved on, like, I'm not near to your level, but some of the things we've had have been, you know, probably more than we would have thought when we were in that small town in Ontario. Oh, yeah. And, and we achieve those. And then I sit there and why is that never enough? Do you know what I mean? It's like, I could yeah. do X, Y, and Z. And I'm like, yeah, but I could also like do that. And then they're like, yeah, but you just, I'm like, yeah. But then like, after that, I could also like, mm -hmm. it's not that yeah. it's never enough, but there's something different. I'm, I feel like people who are like mm -hmm. us are wired different and it's not for money. It's not for fame. It's not for attention. Mm -hmm. There's this innate burning inside that this fire that just continues. Right. And I, I do notice that more in people who did individual sports versus team sports. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, I think too, like, I think where, where, where I've learned it is important to like, you know, enjoy the successes and everything. I think the other thing is too, is when you get so focused on the next thing, the next thing, the next thing, you also <clears throat> start really tying your whole personal worth to those successes, which is a, a really kind of dangerous thing to do, like for your mental health and also for like who you are as a human being to the people around you and, and all that. I mean, I have, I have struggled my whole life, I would say with like balancing my personal relationships and, and my career, because my, my sort of default is to be very, very blinders on tunnel vision with, with my career. Um, and I have, I have lost a lot of relationships and I'm, I'm lucky now to, to be in a really healthy one with Mitchell, you know, and it helps too, that not only is he in on the same career path as me, but he also is, um, you know, very, very competitive and very focused and determined and in, in his own pursuits. And so, you know, we, we recognize and appreciate that in each other and understand that about each other. But I also think that like every once in a while, I'm like, Hey, we should like hang out and like be a couple, <laughs> you know, like, like just go we, on a date. Yeah. Like we've, we've been so both been so focused on our stuff. It's like, we, we need to nurture our relationship too. Um, and and it, especially like with friends and stuff too, like for me, you know, finding friends who do the same thing as me because they, they understand. Cause you know, I've had some friends, you know, over the years that just like, they, they look at it like, oh, she's, she went and like got famous and now she's like too cool to hang out with us yep. and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, that's not it at all. Um, mm -hmm. I just also like, no offense to you, but like the job that you have, you work from nine to five or whatever it is that your hours mm -hmm. are. And then you come home and you leave work at work for the most part. Mm -hmm. This is my job never stops. It's 24 seven, you know? Yeah. I might write from say 11 till four or whatever so during the day. And then I go play my shows and I, I go on the road and do that. 
but like it never stops. I'm, I'm doing social media stuff. I'm, I, if my manager calls at whatever hour in the morning or at night, Mm -hmm. like I have to pick up, it's a thing that you have to think about constantly because also there are zero guarantees in what we do. Like, it's not like, okay, if you do X, Y, Z work this many hours, you will make this much money. Um, you will get a raise at such and such time once you've accomplished xyz you will have a a pension and like a retirement fund and like all this stuff like you could work your ass off every single day and tomorrow this could all disappear you know like you are not guaranteed anything at any point in time in your career no matter what level of success you've reached it can all disappear at any time you know the Mm -hmm. second so it's like you have to stay constantly focused and, and motivated. And that's hard for someone who is not in this industry to understand. It's a weird space. You and I spoke about some stuff and, and you stopped me and let me know at any point where you just give me the look. Um, but I bring this up because you're going right into things that you and I talked about. And like, you live a very different life than say Joe Blow on the street and what he has to deal with and what that that does to his psyche. And I've recently gone through some things and I haven't spoken to you personally about them yet, but let's just say, (laughs) remember that doctor you were like, they talk to special people who are doing cool things, who help you deal with trolls and really back ass backwards just idiocy on the internet. Mm -hmm. (laughs) We talked about this and I was thinking to myself, I was like, it's so crazy because I've, I've been in treatment and therapy for over a decade now to deal with my fuckery from the Mm -hmm. war. And, and then I was like, Oh, I should be able to like handle like anything. And then Mm -hmm. this punched me in the face and I'm like, Oh my God, I need to call Megan. (laughs) because What is happening? It's really messed up. It's and and oh, I have no, yeah. I mean, I've what you're talking about. Yeah, I started. I started going back to therapy recently, um, and I I have no problem telling that to anybody because Good. I think it's very stigmatized and it shouldn't be. I think that therapy is very normal, and I think that like everybody should go to therapy. It makes me so happy to hear you say that out loud because so oh, many people. No, I'm a huge advocate for it. Absolutely. I mean, Good. I. The first time I went to therapy, I was coming out of a very abusive, you know, physically, emotionally abusive relationship. Um, And I did a year and a half of therapy to work through that. And actually, Mitchell and I were talking about it just last night because, you know, I we're we're in such a good place in, in our relationship. And I can honestly say, you know, and after we were talking about a friend of ours who is going through their own things, you know, with, with relationships and past relationships and still really kind of carrying a lot of that, that baggage. Um, and I said like, you know, therapy, 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 therapy. Like if I had not gone to therapy after that, there's a way that I could have the relationship I have with Mitchell now, um, had I not like worked through those things and I don't care who you are, how tough you are, like everybody breaks at some point in some way. Um, and that is normal. That's part of being human. That's not a judgment on your toughness or, you know, no. ability to, to bear anything. And, and, I, and I can only imagine for someone like you who has seen and experienced unspeakable things and violence and horrific things that none of us in our lifetimes could even imagine. Um, 
to then feel like somebody was mean on the internet and this is killing me. It's like, oh, what? I hate it. I hate it so but, much. I hate Reddit. I hate everyone. Just leave me the fuck alone and let me yeah. do my job now. I moved on. Now you fuck off. Sorry. Yeah. Well, it's just like, it's very, <laughs> it's just like really, it's hard. I think part of it is because I have dealt with internet bullies, you know, for, for years now, like since I signed my record deal and started, you know, getting more followers and being more in the public eye, um, you know, the brunt of the, the, the trolls that I get usually have to do with hunting. You know, anytime I post something about hunting, you get like really crazy. Oh yeah. I mean, like just, uh, the, the, well, the funny thing is, is you would think it would all be like, like vegans and vegetarians, but the, what kills me the most, anytime someone makes like a snarky comment about me hunting, the first thing I ask is, do you eat meat? Because if yeah. you do, shut the fuck up. You have uh -huh. no ground to stand on. You are a hypocrite. And uh -huh. we had, there's nothing to discuss here. You, you are, if you eat meat, you don't get to be mad at me for hunting. <laughs> you no, just- because Fucking don't. Factory, yeah, because factory farming is just as her, if not nine hundred times more horrific. Well, here's so. here's the reality. This is what I have to explain to people, and, and and the thing that I realize is that like like generally I ascribe to the the motto of like don't feed the trolls, like just don't even bother engaging with them mm -hmm. because I mean half the time they're bots, and the other half of the time they're just miserable human beings, and there there's no talking to them. Like you're just you're basically you're giving them what they want, which is attention because attention. Clearly they don't get enough of it. Um, but some people though, I if I feel that they're even open to a conversation, I do try and talk to them because a lot of it does just come from ignorance and them not understanding what it's really about. They've got this mm -hmm. idea in their mind that all hunters are just a bunch of like bloodthirsty dumbass rednecks out there with with guns like I love killing shit. It's like <laughs> it's not but killing shit so is okay to love. Well, yeah, I mean, I I do, but like you know, it's also for food. Yes, it's it's for food. Like I I don't I don't trophy hunt. You know, I I don't I don't hunt anything that I'm not going to eat. Um, I process my own meat. Like I I clean and and process my own meat. I cook it. I eat it. I enjoy it. It's it's healthy. It's organic. Um, and here's the other reality. I'm like, this is something. I'm like, I I don't know if you know this person on the internet, but like, I'm just curious. Like, how is it that you think animals die like naturally in the wild? Like, do you think deer are just walking into flowery meadows and dying peacefully in their sleep because i can promise oh. you that like doesn't happen you want to know how they die they shredded by they a get, bear yeah they get attacked by wolves or coyotes or bears um they get sick or diseased and literally die a mm -hmm. slow miserable painful death they starve if there's a lack of food in the area they get hit by a car and then suffer and die in a ditch somewhere mm -hmm. or are injured and get infected and die or whatever like literally the ways that animals that are not predators die in the wild is pretty horrific. Their best case scenario is I make a clean shot and they're mm -hmm. more or less gone before they even have, before they can even process like pain or, or what's happening. And that mm -hmm. is, that is a fact that is uh, science and like real science, not like what they say is science in the news right now, real science. <laughs> yeah. Like <laughs> actual comparable like, science. Actual science. Yeah. These are actual facts. Um, I love that. and, uh, but yeah, it's like, 
you know, and, and also the reality is, is that like most hunters actually have more respect and care for the animals they hunt than, than anyone else. I mean, hunters, fishermen, like we, we pay more money and donate more money into the conservation of our wildlife than, than any other average person. When we pay for our hunting tags, um, you know, for our hunting licenses, like that stuff is expensive, Mm -hmm. you know, for what it actually costs me in ammunition, tags, licenses, gear, like whatever else it takes for me to go out and hunt something like that's a lot of money I'm putting into doing that when I could just as easily go to the grocery store and grab it off the shelf and be blissfully Mm -hmm. unaware of um, the life that animal lived before they were killed, how they were killed, what might be in that that animal, what kind of hormones or whatever else might have been pumped into them, Mm -hmm. which then affects could affect my health, you know, and, and the reality is, is that like most animals that you buy at the grocery store probably did not have a great life you know and whereas an animal that i killed in the wild lived a great life and had no idea that it was about to end and then it was just over you know <laughs> like yeah it was oblivious it, to the situation yeah, i heard a crack and, in the in like the bushes and then it was done. right right and it's also like it's part of part of conservation and part of hunting the reason why we have tags and limits is is for the it's for to keep the ecosystem healthy and what people don't like that don't understand is we as humans are part of the ecosystem they act like we've come in and like you know we have this unfair advantage as human beings because we have weapons well you know what do you think speed or claws or teeth or size or strength are they're weapons god created all of us with ways to protect ourselves and ways to hunt and provide for ourselves God created bears with size and strength and teeth and claws. And, you know, they created deer with um, speed and intense sense of smell and sight and et cetera. Mm -hmm. Humans, we got superior intelligence, which we used to create weapons. Mm -hmm. That's not an unfair advantage. That's us using what we were given as, as living beings on earth to provide for ourselves. And this idea that like, um, well, you don't need to do that. You don't need to hunt. There's meat at the grocery store. I'm like, no, actually that's, that's not true. Like if we didn't like deer would be overpopulated, which would then affect other aspects of the ecosystem because they would be eating more of certain crops that other animals need that like, there are so many things that people just don't bother to, to research and, and understand. And, you know, I, that's, and again, like, yeah, part of it is also, selfish, you know, in that, like, I just enjoy it. I like being outdoors. It's an escape for me, but everything, every part of what I do as a hunter is legal, ethical, moral, you know, I, I, so I just have no apologies for that. (laughs) Well, and I don't think that you should, I think each and every individual is going to do what they want to do, but there's something to be said for individuals that choose to waste their, their time, their limited precious resource, which is time. And when people don't have enough to do or enough business to do or enough focus or anything else, they find holes and gaps in people's lives. And they feel like they have, it's their God given right, because they're connected by a keyboard to make it known to everybody and not just known. And it never even has to be true. If it catches fire, that's all it takes. It it doesn't even have to be an honest thing. And so I know one of our 
she used to be an ambassador of ours. Her name's Kirstie Ennis. She's a badass Marine. She, um, she was wearing one of our bracelets during a hunt. She's a hunter as well. Mm. And she posted the photo of the, I think it was antlers. I don't know what she was hunting. I want to, maybe it was she, mm. was she hunting? I don't remember. It was a fantastic photo. And so we posted it and we got a little backlash from it. And I remember thinking to myself going, I don't care because she eats her, the meat. She hunts the yeah. food. Like there's something to be said. Like I've never gone hunting. I didn't grow up hunting. Like mom and dad used to put the salt licks on our property of the 17 acres. And then all the deer and everything would come to us because all our other neighbors would hunt them. And so my mom was like, no. And so she would put salt licks out and we had these two turkeys that would walk up and down the driveway. And we had all these, you know, deer in the backyard. And we had some, I think there was a, a couple bears at some point. And there was this idea that like that property was safe almost. So I don't remember if my dad ever let anybody actually go hunt on our property. He might have at one point if it got to be a bit much just from conservation standpoint, but we were never hunters. I never was exposed. I think my dad had a 22 when he shot raccoons that were being dicks, but like yeah. I never until the military, the idea of a gun to me was foreign. The idea of like hunting something was foreign. And then the first time I ever hunted something was people. And yeah. so the idea of I've never killed an animal and people have said to me, like, have offered, like, I'll take you on your first hunt. I'd love to be there to help you process that and go through that. And I'm like, I'm going to take someone up on this eventually, because I know it's something I would be proud to learn and then pass on on to my son, whether I did it all the time or not. It's the yeah. idea of the ritual behind it, the appreciation mm -hmm. of the animal, the understanding as to this is the food we eat. This is mm -hmm. this animal lived a great life. And now we've we're giving it to us to nourish it. And there's something to be said for providing food for others and the feeling it gives you. And so as much as it is a caring, loving thing, there still is that selfish, you get something back from it. And I grow, I grow my own, we grow own vegetables in the summer. So like I gar, I'm a big gardener. That's like a thing for me. And mm -hmm. so I, we built these massive garden boxes before Jack was born. I remember I was pregnant because we were doing it. And I was like, this is a bad decision to do this at seven months pregnant. Like it was yeah. just not <laughs> ideal timing. It was just a whale. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, so we did it. And I remember planting seeds for the first time and thinking to myself, the, the thing that I was most excited about was being able to take my son and like harvest our vegetables together and, and, and mm -hmm. plant that summer. And yeah. I think it was, you know, we did that last year, but this year, it was the first year where he took to it. Mommy, I want to mm -hmm. grow away. I need to, I need to start the plants inside. I want to have pumpkins this year. I want to have this this year. And then we would plant them. And then when it came time to harvest, I mean, it was so amazing because I've never seen someone so excited to do something and then give it away. Yeah. Mm -hmm. it's, there's something so special when you teach a child or just even yeah. yourself provide something provide it's, and it's not yeah. a lot but it was an, it, it was an offering of some type. Those are, those are the type of like valuable life skills that unfortunately a lot of children that are growing up right now are never going to have. <clears throat> and I, I think those values are, are so important. And I know that one day, you know, God willing, when I get to have children of my own, Mm -hmm. You know, because I also didn't grow up with hunting. I didn't get into hunting until oh, really? I was, yeah, until I was like in my mid-20s. It was something 
I just decided I was interested in and I, I wanted oh. to do. And I think, I mean, cause I grew up around a lot of guys that, that hunted <clears throat> and fished. And like, I always liked, you know, I'd go fishing with my buddies and whatever. And then fall would roll around and I'd be like, all right, who wants to go fishing? And everybody would like be out in the, in a blind or in a stand hunting. So I had said to one of my buddies, I'm like, you know, if I go get my license and, and everything, like, would you show me the ropes and take me out? So he did. Uh, my first hunt ever was a turkey hunt. We didn't see anything. We didn't get anything. But I was already like hooked on the whole process, the, the getting up early, the watching the, the sun come up, that, that sitting there quietly, you know, and just like being still and like waiting. And um, it wasn't until my second year of hunt, like deer hunting that I got my my first buck. And I, I mean, that's why I have it tattooed on my arm, oh, <laughs> you know, beautiful. it's, it's not just like me being a redneck, being like, I kill things and I put it on my <laughs> arm, you know, it was like, it was so much bigger than that because, mm -hmm. you know, one, I had, I had scouted out this property myself, you know, I had put time in on this property and I also, you know, I went and sat out there by myself and I had this, this deer come in and you know, it was, it was a really tough shot to make. He, he had come in from the one place I didn't expect him to come in, which was from behind me. And I wasn't in a stand or a blind. I was sitting on the ground with my back against a stump. And, you know, he probably came in at, I would say, six, 70, 75 yards, maybe. Okay. And like scent, smell, hearing is obviously very um, intense with the deer. And so I'm trying to figure out how I'm going to get turned around to pull up on this deer without him, like hearing me, smelling me, anything like that. Somehow managed to get turned around. I made the shot. Then I went and recovered him. And I was so, I had so much adrenaline. I, I like just, I just grabbed him. I mean, he dressed out at over like 250 pounds. Holy <laughs> <And> shit. <laughs> I started just like pulling him out and I called my buddies. I was like, I got this like massive buck. You guys got to get over here. <laughs> and so they're asking me like, you know, okay, so where were you sitting? And like, where, where'd you shoot him? Blah, blah, blah. And cause when I first, after I'd first shot him, you know, they run a little bit initially and then they, and then they dry. Die. Yeah. And, um, so I didn't see where he, where he dropped. And at first, and it was starting to get dark cause it was right at the end of the day. And so I couldn't find him at first cause I couldn't find the blood trail. It was, there were leaves on the ground. So it was hard to differentiate, mm -hmm. you know? And, um, they're like, well, if you shot, if you were here and you shot him here and like, you couldn't see him if he dropped there, I'm like, well, no, that's not where he dropped. And they're like, well, what do you mean? Like you moved him? I was like, yeah. They're like, no, you didn't. I'm like, you see anybody else out here in these woods? I like, did it. Oh, like, bro, I could lift a Chevy right now. I don't think you understand how you got mom strength right now. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, and just that, that whole process, we, we, you know, we got them loaded up, put them in the back of my truck. We went back to the camp. They showed me how to, how to gut him and clean him. And, mm -hmm. um, uh, my, my buddy Russ showed me how to cook the heart. It's like a tradition. You eat the heart. Wow. It's actually delicious and very good for you, full of nutrients and vitamins. Mm -hmm. Um, but that, that whole experience, I mean, you know, when I first walked up to him, like, it's hard to explain because it's not, it's not a guilt, but there's a weight to it. As I'm sure you can understand, there is a weight that you just take in the life. But then, you know, it's also, you know, I would 
I would say a prayer. I would, you know, thank the animal for its life. And, and then knowing the respect I gave that animal through this whole process, you know, cleaning it, eating, I paid a lot of money, his head's up on the wall. And I look at it this way. I'm like, dude, if I was a deer, like I would want to end up on somebody's wall. I mean, every time somebody walks into the house, I tell, I tell the story of this, this buck. And it's like, you know, shit, most guys, you walk into their house, they talk more about the buck on the wall than their wife or their kids. It's like, it's a point of pride. You know what I mean? It's, it's, it's an like, honor. You're honoring yeah. that animal. That's you, the way you yeah. show respect to that animal says it all. Yeah. And that's what I mean. It's like, people think it's like some kind of sick thing to have like these trophies on the wall. I'm like, no, that's me. That's me honoring the animal. First of all, it's really expensive to get a, a, a good mount done, you know, so I spent a lot of money on it, but it's also like, you know, it's to me, it's, it's honoring the animal. It's honoring the experience and, and, and the whole thing. And it was like, it was also for me, it was such a point of pride because everything about that journey from like wanting to start hunting, getting into it on my own. Like I did that myself. I literally did all that myself. And it was like, it was this feeling of just like being self-sufficient and, and knowing me like, you know what, if shit gets really weird in the world, like I could survive out here. I'm going to call Megan if shit gets really weird, because then you can, you can work (laughs) with me and fill my freezer for me. You can sing me lullabies and then plant the garden. I'll bring home the bacon. (laughs) That's right. See, we're all, the teamwork is already making this dream work. Like we can legitimately just move off into the woods now and you can just send your music in and we'll just podcast from there. That would be uh Megan's like killing make things. Make me, I, listen, every time I drink this on the show, it's just my mason jar. The amount of like jokes people are like, is that moonshine? I'm like, I have never <laughs> tried moonshine a day in my life. I have tried rubbing alcohol. I fucking hammered right Dude, now. <laughs> can you imagine if that was moonshine and there's that much gone? The, the I debauchery. I can't, oh, I can't <laughs> because I have never had moonshine. The... I accidentally drank rubbing alcohol once because I used to, it, I said it was an accident. Let me tell you what happened. I, I, was, I was, it was so bad. I was cleaning. I used to have like a ton of earrings. Like, I mean, like probably about 10 in each ear and I had big spacers and all of that. And so I put them in, a, I put all my earrings into a cup and pour and fill it like a, just like a normal cup with rubbing alcohol and let it sit. And I would clean everything. But that day I had that beside a same cup of water and the piercing, like the earrings don't float. So they fall to the bottom. So I wasn't looking and I grabbed it and I just took a big old swig. Oh my God. I oh. thought my insides were on fire and I'm just like, well, this is how I live now. I, oh, this is terrible. Just, it was the worst experience I've, I've one of the worst things I've put in my mouth and it's been a few. So <laughs> I'm just saying like, no jokes here. No jokes. There's been some shit. And that was one of the, that tops it. Um, so moonshine would be probably better, uh, tasting. I would hope than than that experience. I don't know if it would taste better, but the experience would be more fun. Moonshine is like real moonshine is, is intense. I'll put hair on your chest for sure. But, but I mean, like, I don't want any there. No, no. I, I, I that's, that's, Alcohol is an interesting duck for me because I never in high school, I drank a little bit. Like I would, we would go out to like, I, I love that I can talk about this and you'll totally get what I'm saying. So like 
nobody in town gave a fuck if you drank, if you were 14 and 15 and 16 and 17, um, your parents would drive you to the bush parties and drop you off and be like, text me when you need something. And you're like, they fully well knew what you were doing. And like, and my parents never like bought me alcohol, but I'd be like, dad, I'm going to take some beer with me. And he'd be like, just replace it. Like yeah. I was working, I was young enough, but I was still, I was, you know, I think I was a responsible teenager anyway. So yeah. there was this idea, but the whole concept with my parents was, listen, we'll let you do this. We'll give you the freedom. Don't abuse it. Number one, don't mm-hmm. smoke weed. Number two. And that was around the time when cannabis was just not obviously yeah what it is now. And so that was the only rule. And it was like, just be respectful of our wishes and then you will never lose your freedom. So mom and dad would drop me off literally in the middle of backwoods Campbellford in somebody's like hundred acres that they had built like their own cabin as a teenager and their parents like let them have like a wood burning furnace in it. And we would just drink and hang out outside and have these insane bonfires that now, if I think back to it, I don't know how the fire department never showed up because the chances of us legitimately blowing ourselves up or just setting the whole town on fire was so realistic. Oh yeah. But but nobody cared. Yep. The bush party. Yeah. That was the the thing. Do you remember, do you remember like peeing outside and like you always having that drunk friend that would like always fall over and mm-hmm. you're like, did you just pee on yourself? And like, uh-huh. And you're like, you just went about your day though. Yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, I like, I didn't really, I didn't really drink a lot in high school, mostly just because I was always training right. for some kind of sport, whether it was, you know, <laughs> gymnastics or snowboarding. And so, you know, I didn't really have like a very normal teenage life in a lot of ways. Cause I was always in a gym, but I do remember the 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 one time I got really really drunk and my dad had to come pick me up and when he came to pick me up I had like a plastic grocery bag hooked over my ears <laughs> like sitting there on the steps and you know my parents kind of had the same the same approach as yours which was like look you know if you're if you're going to drink like just be safe about it don't drive don't get in a car with somebody who has been drinking um you know that kind of thing. And like, yeah, just don't, don't abuse the freedom we're giving you. If, if you show yourself that you're not able to be responsible about it, then we're going to have problems. But I was, and I remember my dad picked me up and I, I mean, I was like terrified. I thought I was going to be in so much trouble and he was mostly just concerned. Like, are you okay? What have you had? Blah, blah, blah. Took me home. I had to throw up a bunch. And I remember the next day my dad came in and he's kind of like sitting there in my doorway and he goes, how you feeling kid? I was like, (laughs) and he goes, well, you know, he said, you're, you're pretty good kid most of the time. So this is your get out of jail free card one time only. He said, if this becomes a regular thing, we're going to have big problems. He said, but as for, for now, so we're good. I think you are aware of the mistake you've made. And he's like, (laughs) if you're not, you're going to, you're going to come outside and you're going to split wood with me today and rake some leaves. God, is your dad, my dad? Yeah. So yeah, my dad basically just made me do yard work with him, um, with a hangover. And that, uh, let me tell you, that was a strong lesson learned. And I, and I never got that drunk again until college. (laughs) So what is it about parents who make their kids split wood that is that there is something to be said for that because my dad did this, that literally my dad would do that. He'd be like, you're coming to split wood with me. Yeah. I don't care how you're feeling. We're doing it. And it, 
you flip the switch on and you hear it and it you're just your whole body just goes oh yeah because it's so <laughs> And it's just oh, your dad let you use the machine? He, he didn't make you? Oh, <laughs> oh, no. I got to do the splitter because, like, yeah. we used to do cords and so cords of wood because yeah. we – um my dad used to sell them, too. So oh, okay. we had so much – so much like, we had down trees all the time. We had a lot of acreage, and it was yeah. literally, like, 15 out of the 17 acres was just, like, thick woods. And I remember doing it, and we used to do it as a family and stuff, but I also remember doing it as, I want to say a punishment, but as a way to be like – this is going to suck, but this is going to be a lesson learned for you. And yep. I would complain. And then my dad would be like, I grew up without running water till I was 12. So, <laughs> so I have zero sympathy for you. <laughs> I was the baby of seven. So yeah. I'm like, Oh, so basically what you're saying is I'm being a bitch. And he's like, mm, yeah. Mm, yep. yeah. <laughs> it, it, I remember the one party, my, um, my parents uh, let my brother come to, and he's two years younger than me. I was, I think in grade 12. And he came and, oh my God, within, not, I'm not exaggerating, half an hour of him being there, he had downed a 26er and was passed out underneath someone's truck vomiting on himself. And I called them, I was like, you got to come pick him up. He's a mess. They, they didn't even put him in the cab. Of the, like he had to sleep in, like they put him in the bed of the truck and they drove him home because he couldn't stop vomiting. And I'm just like this, he just went so hard. He got excited and it just, he went off the deep end. Yeah. And it's it's just it's just crazy to me when you when you think about where you grow up and and what you can get a, what you could get away with versus what you could get away with like i know on our hockey team there were some guys that i think there was like one guy who was drinking and driving and went put himself through his windshield and no one like the cops were never involved like kids in high school would go do coke in hockey players literally do anything like anything Anything. it's it it was ridiculous like they they were just like treated like these these gods and they could get away with anything it it was crazy well and it's interesting because like talking to mitchell you know here he's born and raised here in in nashville you know and like in the south football high school football is king oh my gosh you know there are hockey is to us what football is to them here Mm -hmm. so for them it was like they like signed, they like signed like contracts that they would not drink, not smoke weed, that they would abstain, like okay. all these like crazy, like, like things. So it was like the total opposite. Like they, they were like very, very disciplined where it's like, I feel like the hockey kids, like the boys could just like murder. get away with, with literal murder. I'm sure one of them probably murdered someone and I mean, got away at some it. point somebody died uh, somewhere yeah. in Ontario from some weird hockey situation that went sideways. Yeah. They well, did- it was like, it was, I fi- always found it kind of unfortunate because as an athlete myself, like I was, I was never given that kind of like leeway, leeway at all. Um, and it was very obvious. Like a lot of these guys like grew up to be douchebags. You know, and and it was it. like you know, and and that was, but that kind of like behavior, it like was bred into them, which mm-hmm. was unfortunate. But Permission. yeah, I mean, I knew a lot of hockey players growing up. So my yeah. favorite, my favorite was when like you'd be in class, and like when you talk to your teachers by name, like by first name basis, like that number one that says a lot, a lot. Um, mm-hmm when you're like your teachers have like nicknames, like some of the best teachers I ever had were like 
Woody and his wife, who both worked there and they were history. And I think she did um, like the career counseling and stuff like that. And some of the, the best moments I ever had were with those teachers. But then there was other teachers in the school and you'd be like sitting in a class and they'd be like, hey, boys, I hear it's snowing outside. And they would just get up and go do coke. <laughs> Like it was normal. Like what? some people had nick, bro. Some guys had nicknames. Like one of the guys, I can't say who it is, but his nickname was Drip. Like he was in grade ten. What? what? Oh, okay, that's wild to me. The the coke, no. like that was. I don't remember that ever being around where I grew up. Like until like college. No, I mean, even weed wasn't really around. And it was like, if, if it was, it was like somebody's like ditch weed, you know, somebody's uncle no. growing it. Like, that's crazy. Yeah, there was some, it was, it was different. It was different. It's, I mean, out here now, it's interesting because like in schools out in BC, well, I say in BC, that's where I'm at. But I know in the high schools, like, depending on your religion, you're allowed to carry a knife with you. Yeah. What? So there's like kids in high school here in British Columbia, depending what on the religion. What religion means you can carry a knife? Um, I, uh, I don't want to speak at a turn. I want Sikh? It's not Sikh, but I know one of them, there, there, there's, there's knives in our high schools. Like there just is. Like that's just, it's just, there is certain religions, like certain religions, if you wear certain things, you don't have to wear a helmet when you're riding a motorcycle in British Columbia. It doesn't, that's, I mean, that's fine. You want to like, smash your face off the concrete, yeah. like make a poor decision. You do you, man. Like when yeah. I was in Texas, um, last week <laughs> I was in, uh, I was in an Uber and I was going to see Lex Friedman and this guy rolls up on a super nice Harley, like matte black, beautiful. But I look over and he's not wearing a helmet. And I was like, you ruined it because there's nothing cool about having your head splattered all over the, like the, the con like there's just nothing that's yeah. worth that. In my opinion, I don't care how cool I, you want to look. I agree. <laughs> I do like you lost you lost it, buddy. So anyway, I I don't know what kind of tangent I was going on there, but yeah, there's some. It's interesting to see what's allowed and what people can kind of get away with depending on their status in life. And it's I mean that's that goes for that goes from like high school kids all the way up through many businesses, and and I mean all the way up to the presidential level and who people <laughs> hang out with. And there's no repercussions. Like it's just there's a lot of leeway given to certain people depending on your statue. And, mm -hmm. and you try to, you try not to get, um, what's the word I'm looking for? You try not to see that as like, a, well, this is unfair. You just kind of be like, well, I mean, it's not right, but if no one's going to say anything about it, like who am I to comment on their rights to do X, Y, and Z? But it's also like, I don't know that you're using all of that privilege for positive things. Mm -hmm. The world yeah. is an interesting place nowadays, my friend. I tell you, it's uh yeah. It's a little bit crazy. So what's what's been going on with your music career? Like, let's catch these listeners up because I listen to your music. You do this. Um, what do you call it? You do this live where you drink beer and play music. Um, <laughs> we're launching a beer, so we'll be sending some down to you. Oh, oh yeah. Oh, oh, mm -hmm. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hit you up with a lot of beer. And there's something interesting you're growing things really organically doing those types of things. So what's going on with the Megan Patrick music hour? <laughs> um, yeah, we did for, you know, over the pandemic, obviously, <clears throat> you know, we were all as artists trying to find ways to stay connected with our audience, you know, with live music being taken away. Um, and so I started doing these, uh, these live streams, like these weekly, 
live streams. And like, to be perfectly honest with you, it was sort of like a love hate thing for me because I, I, I it wasn't the most enjoyable thing to do. Cause it's like, you're just in a room by yourself playing songs and then like you finish a song and it's just you in a quiet room. Like nobody's clapping. Nobody's, you know, you're not really getting that like immediate sort of like validation you would get with like a, an actual crowd. Um, but I also knew that it was like, it was really special and like important to, to my fans and that they really appreciated it. It helped them kind of get through things, you know, with, with the pandemic. Um, but I think I also kind of resented it because I wanted to be playing real shows and I was, I was angry that we weren't mm -hmm. playing real shows, especially when it seemed like literally every other industry and every other situation was open back up and able to operate on some level. And we weren't, um, right. you know, it felt like we were being held to a different standard than, than anyone else. Would you and, be a second class citizen anywhere? Anything yeah. dicey there? Yeah, I'm like, so you're telling me you're going to pack these planes full of people to breathe recycled air for hours at a time, but we can't play a concert outside, <laughs> you know? That's so ass backwards, my God. Yeah, so, um, but yeah, I think, you know, one of the silver linings, though, of, of the pandemic was um, I just really focused on songwriting and I had a lot of time to write. I mean, I was writing every single day because I was just like, so I'd been on the go and working so tirelessly for years and years like and touring and everything and all of a sudden all of that was taken away and i was like okay i need to you know i need to make the best of this time i need to be creative i need to focus on on writing um and so i did and i think as a result i i think that i i ended up writing some of the best songs i've ever written um because i had because also my approach to writing was different you know when i when i was on the road and like working full-time I would kind of fit writing in around the rest of my schedule like I would come home and I'd have a couple days before I'd go back on the road where I needed to like do laundry try and see my friends get some sleep and write a song um and I would like be so busy on the road you know we would get ready to be like okay we need to think about a new record and so I would go in and really focus hard for a few months to write that record and then go in and cut it and then be back out on the road so there were a lot more kind of time constraints at the time. And so sometimes that would lead you to, it would, it would lead me to like chase things more in terms of writing songs because I like, okay, I need the happy up tempo for radio. So I need to like go in and write that song or I need this song or that song, um, which is, is not necessarily like a, a, a bad thing, but, I don't know that that always breeds like the most like honest or real songs because you're, you're trying to fit something into pressure. a certain box, you know, and there's a pressure and there's a timeline. Whereas, you know, with the pandemic, I had so much time to just, to just write. Um, and I had also, because like there was no sort of end in sight for a long time of like when we were going to go back to work, there was no timeline, there was no pressure. And it also gave me the opportunity where I would go into a write and be like, you know what, let's just try something weird today. Cause it's not like, oh, I only have so much time and I have to make sure that whatever we write is gonna be good for radio or is gonna fit the record or, or this or that. I could just write anything. And, and you know, I've, I, I wrote for other people as well. I mean, I, I am like a, 
undercover metalhead. So I got to write <laughs> for this, this like metal punk band out of Oklahoma and just writing like different genres, doing some more pop stuff too, which was, I mean, I love country and I'm a country artist, but as a writer and as a creator, it's fun to just do something different sometimes than, than country. So, you know, the result was, I think that it just, my creativity got bigger and, and broader and, and more diverse because of that. So, you know, I think that that was a positive, but I also, my favorite part of what I do is being on stage and performing. And I you really can see that in the photos. Yeah. I really, I really missed that. And I, I mean, I don't, I, I don't think I ever really took it for granted, but I became acutely aware of how, like, how important it was to my happiness to be able to do that, you know? Well, the thing with watching and seeing your photos, like I said, you and I are slowly becoming good friends. And over the time that we have, I've, the artistry and the performance that you put on is pretty spectacular. I mean, I've seen it through video and I've seen it through photos, but you don't just stand there with a guitar and give me away. Like you go hard in the paint and it is impressive. I saw you wearing these heels recently. They're like these black booty heels. And I was like, bitch, how did you stand there and rock a guitar? Because I know that I would have done that awkward, like tip weird <laughs> situation. And then the guitar would have went too far forward. And then I would have looked, it would have been horrendous. And you did it flawlessly. And then you have this other photo. It's got to be, not to be creepy, but to also be creepy. It's like my favorite photo of you and your hair is back and you've got the guitar. And it's like that stereotypical, like ACDC, Led Zeppelin, just you're so into the song. You're feeling it. You're, you're, you're not just feeling it. You're, you're, you're all, you're encompassed in it. You're enthralled in it. You are, that song is every part of you and it comes out through the photo. So I can only imagine what it feels like to actually watch you do that in person. I mean, for you, that has to be intense to hear people singing back to you and reacting to you. Mm -hmm. I, I can't even, I could never begin to fathom what that intensity would feel like. Yeah. There's, there's nothing like it. I mean, it's just, it's, it's probably the only thing in my, in my entire life where I've ever, you know, when I'm on stage, literally like nothing else matters. I like, it's just, everything else just kind of disappears. I could be having the worst day. I could be dealing with a lot of shit. And when I get up on stage, it doesn't matter. And it disappears for 45 minutes, hour, whatever, whatever it is. Um, and it's like also just this feeling of like, I am exactly where I'm supposed to be right now. And I'm doing exactly what I'm, what I'm meant to do, like what God intended me to do. Um, mm -hmm. and I don't get that feeling anywhere else. And, and I also, you know, and that's why it was so hard during the pandemic because people, people didn't understand, like, this isn't just about money. Like, yeah, also I need to like pay my mortgage, but like, this is, this is taking away like my, my happiness. It's like a part of my soul is being taken away right now. And you know, I, I love what I do. And it was just like, I, I've, I've not gone that long without playing a show or having to have that, that feeling in a long time. And it was, it took a toll on my mental health for sure. And I know that it was the same for a lot of other artists too. 
I was going to say that, I mean, it's, it's probably safe to say before I even said it, that the impact and implication of, of the lack of contact and the lack of feedback alone on your mental health would have had them a huge impact. Yeah. I mean, this is a really, really tough cutthroat industry. Um, you know, like you literally talk about your feelings for a living and put them out there for the rest of the world to judge, <laughs> to put it like, right. to put it in like simple terms. Like you write your songs, you tell your stories, you talk about your feelings in your songs, <clears throat> then you put it out there for the world to judge. And people can be mean and people can be cruel and um, the industry can be cruel. It's, it's an industry that's like increasingly valued, just, I think, um, lesser songs and lesser artistry, mm -hmm. you know, the rise of TikTok and like these, this instant gratification thing, you know, and like kind of, you know, speaking to the lowest common denominator, you know, it's just like, I think it's really um, sacrificed some of the, the true artistry and like, you know, even hearing the songs that get played on radio and then being told that you need to do that. And I'm like, well, these songs suck. So yeah. <laughs> if that's what y'all want, I can't really give that to you. You know, these songs right. don't mean anything to me. And part of why I fell in love with country music specifically as a genre was the the storyteller aspect and the the realness of of country music you know like all the the best country songs like really tell a story and there's an honesty there um and there's you're telling the story of like your fans and and everyday people it's not like pop music where they're talking about like maseratis and popping champagne and shit which is like you know like mo the average person that listens to pop music like they're not driving maseratis and popping oh. champagne you know, but when when you look at country music, you know that you look at the songs and the, and the stories. It's like that's everyday shit. That's normal people. You know, that's relatable. It's relatable. Um, but yeah, it's just uh, it's it was it was really it's been really frustrating too for me because again going back to the the live music aspect when that was taken away. I mean, that's always been my strength because I've toured for so long. I've spent, I, I have learned, I know what it means to walk out onto a stage and either play to nobody or, you know, play to a bunch of people who have no idea who you are and, and have to win them over, you know, and how to, how to speak to an audience and, and how to read your audience and, and know what they want and know what they need from you. And, um, that's been completely like devalued by social media and TikTok and things like that, where, you know, and it's like this, this attitude that like, well, if you want, if you ain't popping on TikTok, you ain't popping. And I'm like, it's like, fuck off. I'm like, but I'm not a content creator. I'm an artist. I'm a performer. I'm an entertainer. I've spent my whole life, you know, learning how to sing well, how to play guitar, how to not just get up on stage and play and sing the songs and look pretty, but be a fucking entertainer. Um, mm -hmm you know, and how to write songs. I mean, I spend every single day, like I never stop thinking about songs. <laughs> it's literally every conversation I have, everything I see, everything I do, I'm always looking for a song in everything. That's like, I can't even shut it off if I wanted to. I freaking wake up in the middle of the night sometimes because I need to write something down. I have to get out of the shower when I'm like, 
you know, yeah. shampoo in my hair because I something came in my head and I got to write it down. I pull over on the side of the road because I have an idea. Like, like I live and breathe and eat that. And that's, you know, what any like real artist does. And then it's like, you know, and then things like TikTok become so all important because something goes viral. And I'm like, just because something goes viral on TikTok does not correlate to someone actually being a fan and like buying the merch and going to the concert and buying the mm -hmm. ticket and like hearing. It's just like, I mean, it just means that they kept your video on their screen while they took a shit or, you know, watch TV <laughs> and like laid yes. in bed, you know, and it's like, that doesn't take any level of like commitment to just watch somebody's video and tap the heart on it, you know? No doesn't mean that you can you can fill you can sell tickets and put asses in seats it doesn't mean that you can get up on stage and actually perform for real live humans you know mm -hmm. so it's just sort of like this bastardization i think of like of just the the industry as a whole and and the the art of it um it's just been frustrating because the thing that was my strength was taken away from me and i was like forced to like try and become relevant on an app that I just don't care about. <laughs> and I'm like, well, and that's understandable. You know? It's nobody expects true artists to care about it. It's I try to see it for what it is. It's a marketing tool and it's a highlight reel. I struggle with those platforms because in no way, shape and form do I want to be engaging on them as I do know and have noticed it affects me whether people, people like to admit it or not. They're, that kind of stuff affects people. It, it just does. And I don't know that it's healthy. And we're in an age where if you don't use it, you have almost no way of making mm -hmm. yourself known, of, of, yeah. of selling anything or of just getting a message out. It's just almost impossible. And God forbid you're not on all of the platforms. God forbid they're not all linked together. You'll yeah. hear about it. It's really yeah. troubling to see and I can only imagine, you know, being and working as hard as you have worked to get where you are, that that must be quite frustrating. And I, I can totally appreciate that. And I can understand it to the extent in which and I can understand it and empathize with you because it's been a real learning curve of like, you have to post photos, you have to yeah. engage with the people on social. It's like, but if yeah. I don't want to read the comments, because they're sometimes soul crushing, like, no, but you yep. have to read the comments because you have to respond right. to the comments. And it's like, well, right. but do I have to do all of these things? Well, if you want to be successful, you do. And that's yep. just where we are at. I struggle with TikTok. I refuse to do it. I have my social girl do it because it makes me sad inside. Um, yep. I also just don't need like China on my phone. And I try to, I try to do as, you know, as much as I can, but as limited as I can as well, because I also just don't think it's healthy. And I think yep. that's, ex that's, Oh, fucking K to say, yeah. you don't have to live on it. Yeah. I mean, and that's, I mean, I'm, I'm on it because, you know, basically the label's like, well, you got to do it. You got to do it. You got to do yeah. it. And it's like, okay. You know, on the one hand I hate it, but I also, you know, I've always said, I'll do whatever it takes. I'll do whatever it takes. Right. And if that's what it takes, then that's what I have to do. But it's like, it is, it's just like, you know, I go on there to like post something or respond to a couple of things. Next thing I know, it's been an hour and I'm like, wow, I can never get that hour of my life back from watching a bunch of shit on here that mostly just pissed me off and made me angry or like frustrated, <laughs> right? you know, and the and rabbit holes. And it's also, it's so frustrating because it's like so much of it is so pandering and so disingenuous. And I'm like, it's so cringy. And I'm like, I don't want to do that. I'm like, is that really what I have to fucking do to get people to like, pay attention 
to my music or think that I'm relevant. I'm like, this is so stupid. Like, <laughs> you know, like if you just did one of your, I mean, I'm tossing this out there. This is a just saying if, if you did one of your beer and song hours, topless viral bitch you don't have to do this ever again literally viral megan patrick put her tits out and played music for an hour don't even show them just let them think it's naked because that's all it takes one yeah. viral moment and you're just dead then you're like you don't have just to do any like the, the jenny um oh, like in from forrest, forrest gump, gump. Yeah. yeah i but just totally have like just let into consideration. It. I'll be like, oh, oh, label. Oh, you want me to? You want me to blow up on TikTok? I'm gonna blow up. Here we go. Let me show you how. <laughs> let me show you how this is done. You tell me the day that you're gonna do that, and I'll just be like, have you guys checked? Like, you guys, I'll start promoting it. But like tonight, she's doing a, a special Ooh. beer and music sesh. Just go watch it. We're all really excited. Just share it out, and people go, uh, Megan Patrick naked. She's naked playing the guitar. People would go fucking bananas for. I'm telling you. I'd watch it. Now I just kind of want to do it like out of spite, just to be like, see yeah. how stupid this is. <laughs> I went topless on an award show. So, I mean, wow. Well, it was the CAFA Awards. So it was Canadian Art and Fashion, and Brass and Unity was nominated this year for, like, is it this year or is it last year? No, it was this year because we're still in this year. Oh, okay. Twilight Zone um, for a, um, a fashion award in the category of um, fashion impact. So, philanthropic work through fashion. And so we were nominated and they're like, we're Canadian designer. And I was like, I am a designer, but I'm also a jeweler. So I was like, huh. And, but then they're like, you could, you know, call one of the Canadian designers. So I called a couple and like to rent one of their outfits was like 800, a thousand, like uh, $2,000. And it was like virtual this year. So I'm like, I'm not even going to the event and it's an hour. So I thought to myself, how do I, how do I do this? So I wore my hat. I pulled all my hair to the front. I put pasties on so they couldn't accuse me of being fully naked. But on the pasties was a little brass and unity sticker. So on my nipples. And then I wore bright red lipstick and I had all the gold jewelry, all different, like all different skews we had. And I looked like Mr. T and I just oh, wore black yeah. pants and red lipstick. And they're like, what are you, who are you wearing? I'm like brass and unity. <laughs> that is it. Yeah. <laughs> because. I couldn't wrap my brain around paying like that much money for an outfit for an hour for a virtual event where they just saw from the waist up. If you would have said we were actually going to the event in Toronto and it was because it was always at the Fairmont and you were going to be doing the red carpet and doing all those things. No problem. I'll rent it if I have to. Even then I'll still squawk about it because I think the money could be donated otherwhere, but I'll do it. But like the yeah. idea and the opportunity and I was like, the hair is long enough. Finally. Yeah. The titties are coming out. The, uh, the Alanis. Yeah. I pulled it. I, I pulled video, it hard. Was what was the video she did where she had her hair over her tits? And what was that? Was that was like an iconic one too? That was um, yeah. what song was that? You're the musician. You should know this. I know. I'm. I'm. I'm a I little sad. That, what I I, I, I have video, the song like, in my head, but at no point will I ever sing it for you because that is like seriously. Look, that's incredible. I love Why that. not? Yeah. They were well, new. They deserve to be out. I know what I'll be wearing to my next award show. Yeah, well, if you don't, I'm <laughs> severely disappointed. I will personally fly out and just like 
prep your necklaces and make sure they're all in line and like, I'll just build jewelry onto you. So it's completely custom. What are you wearing? Nothing. Just brass and unity. Just pull a full of Jenny. Cause yeah. could you do that nowadays? Could you go out onto a stage like where it looked like you were butt ass naked? Like, could you get away with that nowadays? I mean, I could do whatever I want. It's America's an artist. country, isn't it? <laughs> Well, I mean, you're in America. I forgot. Sorry. I'm currently in the commie country of Canada yeah, that is going to stay that way for the next extended period of time. And I need to get a VPN. So my everything, because we don't have free speech, freedom of speech. And this is my job is to talk shit and talk about mental health and be ruthless. And that is slowly going to become a problem. And if I need you to break me out of jail, I will call you. Yeah. Yeah, you should just you should just move here. <laughs> so I'm trying to convince my family. Dude, I, I talked to my husband about that. I was like, we should move to the States because the problem is each state, it just depends. It it depends. It's always up in the air. Until things fall where they may, I don't know what where to go until we have a better idea of what yeah. this shit storm, once this kind of I don't even say settles, because I I really don't think at any point are either of the governments going to allow this to just trail off they're going to use what's that what's that saying um sandra bullock said it in a movie was it sandra bullock that said it in a movie is it sandra bullock it's um it's like a crisis never let a good crisis go um unused or something like that and i mean this is too good for them to just let be the the next news cycle like covid and everything like this right. is too useful yeah so i can see it i can see it um staying longer than i would uh, like it. But anyway, my point is we would move to, I mean, that's, that's not, you know, not an issue. I can podcast from anywhere in the world. It's, it's more about our companies than it is anything else, but yeah. you know, the conversations have started and we've, we've, we've talked seriously about just not even the States, but just like what, where would we move? What would that even look like? Because I'm one of those Canadians who actually values my freedom. And I'm one of those Canadians who actually fought for this country. And feel like I have a unique perspective on what this country is doing and it makes me sad. It makes me nervous and not yep. from like a paranoid standpoint. It makes me nervous truly from a being a parent now from a business yes. owner, small business owner, from a veteran, from a human rights and freedom of speech standpoint, mm -hmm. nothing controversial, nothing conspiratorial, you know no. what I mean? Like, I'm not even trying to be like, oh my God, like Trudeau well, the is that like, thing is though that you saying even that is now considered like conspiratorial. It's like, isn't that sad? Cause that's like the most normal thing that anyone could say is just, yeah. it's okay to question things that doesn't make yeah. you a conspiracy theorist. No, it, just apparently it makes does. you think. Yeah. Apparently it does. Yeah, you gotta look well. out. Thought, thought police are going to come get you. Don't because they will. I'm attached to a police unit. Like, don't like the, the beginning of the show. I don't know if anybody caught it, but right before I started with you, like, so the team beside me will come over and knock on the door and let me know when they're going to do a big explosion because they know it makes me nervous. Right. Yeah. If I'm just in the office wandering around and all of a sudden I hear like this, oh, boom, it's like hit the ground. It's going yeah. down. Yeah, but, no doubt. Like the podcast studio is, this is the side that they're on. So they give me advance notice. I want them to drill a hole through the concrete and put like one of those lights, like a red light where when the light turns on, it's like they're, they're about to do a nuclear blast. Like it's the old school World War II mentality, flip the light switch, yeah. like shit's about yeah. to go down. 
Um, but they, they said no. So I was like, I guess I'll take the <laughs> knock on the door. Yeah. <laughs> but like, we texted you. I'm like, you texted the wrong number. <laughs> Casey, you know who you are. I know you listen. Um, but th- yeah, those guys are, those guys are, they're so respectful and they're so kind and they're so thoughtful and they know my history. So they just, they're, they're good about it, but yeah. it's still like, there was one, there was a big boom that happened at the beginning of the show. And I was like, I don't know if anyone heard that because <laughs> I felt that one. No, I didn't <laughs> like, Oh, that's amazing. Well, well, I'm glad. Listen, I know you've got a busy schedule and um, this won't be the only time you're coming on the show, my sweets. And yeah, I just know you're coming back. So I'm going to cut us there because sure. I think you've got so much going on. You've got so much ahead of you. And I know my listeners are going to be so thrilled to keep hearing about what you're doing and how you're helping because you, you do a lot for charity. You, you care so much about mental health you put a lot of effort into that. And I think that's maybe something people didn't know about you. And I'm, I'm hopeful and glad that mm-hmm. if they didn't, they know it now. And um, you are a Brass and Unity ambassador. And I got to tell you, it's I'm such wearing, a oh, couple pieces right now. Oh, yeah. I've been seeing the sparkles come off with the lights hitting. I see it. I see you girl. <laughs> and I, I'm, um, I'm grateful to have you on the team because you care about veterans in a way that a lot of people, I could only hope they could even have a, a monochrome of effort to care about. Like you care. And that's all I've ever wanted from people. And um, I know, I, I know I've got above and beyond. freedom and we don't have that without y'all. So. Oh, see, this is what I'm saying. This is what I'm saying. You're just, a, you're such a freaking good person and it you're gorgeous. And so that helps. And you're going to be topless on your next like singing session. So yeah. Tune in, guys. <laughs> I'm just giving everyone all the marketing ideas lately. My God, I'm just, I'm, I'm on fire. Too bad I'm not on fire for myself. Jesus. Listen, I am so grateful, Megan. Can you tell everyone where they can find you and, and download your music and, and everything like yeah. that? Um, yeah, I mean, social media, it's just Meg Patrick Music on Twitter and Instagram. Facebook, Megan Patrick with an H, M-E-G-H-A-N, Patrick. Um and yeah, music is available anywhere you listen to music, all of the streaming platforms, iTunes, uh, everywhere. So Spotify yeah. as well? Spotify everywhere, everywhere. What makes um, you the most money? Um, live shows. <laughs> Besides Not everyone going to your live shows, but online, is it Apple um, that makes you more? Is it Spotify? Because we'll drive people there. Yeah, um, Spotify... It's, it's, well, it's kind of complicated. I would say Spotify just because, um, not even just like monetarily, so, so to speak, but the, the numbers is, mm-hmm. is something that like agents and radio and stuff looks at. So regardless we'll of actual monetization of it, um, but boosting up those numbers is helpful to my career in other ways. So, yeah. Well, when we will drive everyone to the Spotify spot, because we want you to get the most bang for your buck and, and we want people to... Yeah. We want people to support you and, and actually have it make a difference, right? And so that's really what matters. Mm-hmm. And we are grateful to have you on, Megan. And um, if there's nothing Thanks else, I guess we'll uh, talk to you all next week. See you.